going to talk about our historical timeline and to the extent that it's been sort of manipulated and falsified. Now, I know your audience is no stranger to sort of esoteric topics and kind of outside of the box thinking in a way that most people don't even want to go near. But I think even they too will find what we have to say pretty shocking and outrageous um, as far as the extent of the fraud of our history. The, and... the timeline was compressed. So all these events that we know of, the Trojan War, the idea of um, the Egyptian, you know, the building of the pyramids, all these things did happen, but they happened much closer to us. They, they weren't, and what happened is Scaliger, who was a um, French uh, scholar slash historian, he, he was kind of the father of our history he essentially took these stories that happened in the Middle Ages and he just pushed them back thousands of years. Welcome to Business Game Changers. I'm Sarah Westall. This is going to just blow your mind. This interview is just absolutely, I think it's the, one of the most interesting interviews I've ever done. I'm talking to James and Scott about Tartaria. I did have Susan Bradford on about Tartaria as well, which is very fascinating. This is a deeper dive into Tartaria, but from a different perspective. Uh, it's, you know, I think that it's so new to so many people. We need scholars and everybody to really dive into Tartaria to really learn what, and not just Tartaria, but other aspects of our history. There is so much coming out of the fraud of our history. And Tartaria is, why I like Tartaria, because it's it was the world's largest empire up to like a couple hundred years ago. And there's so much proof, it's undeniable proof with maps and everything else. And they're going to show you some of that in today's uh, video, in today's uh, presentation on how how much proof there is that this whole empire exists and that... There's so much fraud behind uh, most of our history and that that's what the evidence is pointing to. I mean, how many of you have questioned why the Middle Ages were called the Dark Ages? Why do we have nothing? Why do we have a, a plethora of information and then all of a sudden there's these Dark Ages and then a plethora of information again? Something's just a little off there and this really starts to put things together. But it also starts to look at the evidence of this Tartaria. And it points to some dark things as far as our civilization now. But, you know, the Great Reset, what are they doing? Are they trying to wipe out another empire? Or, are, you know, what's really going on here? And I think by learning our past and, you know, the fraud that was put on us, taking away our past allows people to manipulate us and control us. But by learning our past, we will learn so much more. Our history will be so much richer, and we can expand and grow as a human community. And so I just love this show. But before we get into this, I want to remind you about the $100 off that you can get. It's over $100 off on the superfoods that I have. And, you know, it's it's so important. You know, I've been talking about the solutions that I've put together with Dr. Joe Newsma on ways that you can keep from getting sick this winter. It's so important. If you've been watching my channel, you know it's really important to keep from getting sick, especially if you've had the mRNA shot or around those who have had that shot because we don't want your immune system to attack yourself. 
And so you got to keep yourself from getting sick until we understand the full dynamics of the situation that we're dealing with. And so that solutions document gives you a good idea on how to not get sick, whether it's C60 for inflammation, the Z-Stack, which I have links for all of that in there um, and below, Z-Stack for, you know, if you can't get ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, Z-Stack uses quercetin and vitamin C to get zinc into the cell because ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, that's what they do. It's a mechanism to get zinc in the cell to block the virus. And that's what no one talks about is what its real function and purpose is. But Z-Stack, which I have the link below, does that for you. But anyways, these superfoods, it's called godsharvest.co. You can get a gift certificate that will give you over $100 off a month's supply of superfoods. And one of the things in the solutions is to just be healthy and fit. It's very hard to get your full nutrition when you're not getting fruits and vegetables that are uh, that have the nutrients, the, the nourishment in it, because our food supply is broken and we're not getting those nutrients. And this is what we're going for. And I got a month transformational kit, which is transforming my body. It's allowing these nutrients to this, the vitamins and minerals to be uptaked. It's called my, my body is not, um, uptaking my nutrients. And I'm, and most people in the United States have that same, or everywhere in the world where you have a broken food system are having problems because of the chemicals, the pollution, everything that we're dealing with, the over-tilled soil. There's so many reasons that we're not getting the nourishment that we need and so much disease is coming from that. So that's the number one thing you need to focus on if you want to be healthy. And I got to tell you, my system wasn't working about 20 years ago. And so I went to my chiropractor and they saved me. It wasn't 20 years ago. It feels like 20 years ago. It was probably like 12 years ago now. And uh, I got into a detox program and they made me go on this strict diet, which was essentially clean eating, that I couldn't eat anything that wasn't organic. It was couldn't have sugar. I, couldn't, I mean, it was all these things. I couldn't have dairy. I couldn't. But this, this transformational kit is actually and it will be less expensive than that because it's a full month of food and you and it's not so strict as that you're getting those nourishment from getting clean food but also detoxing i really recommend you you check it out it's a it's a good option for those of you who do not have access to good fruits and vegetables good organic farmers that aren't being sprayed with chemicals that are grown in soil and just to see what that difference is and see how it affects your body. That's what I'm doing. And the other thing you can do is these foods last for two years on packaged. So if you want to supplement your, your food supply, because we don't know what's going to go on with the global supply chain. If you want some foods that you know will give you that nourishment, it's not a bad idea to use that $100 gift certificate to also or maybe instead get some foods just for your family. So it's an option. I have the links below. I hope you look at it, at least this or something else that will give you that nourishment because there are a lot of options, especially a local farmer in the farming community. And before I get into one last thing, if there's one thing that I ask you to do, it's please sign up for my newsletter at sarahwestall.com. It gets you connected into everything that I do. So sarahwestall.com, sign up for my newsletter. 
let's get into this mind-blowing interview with Scott and James. Hi, James and Scott. Thank you for joining the program. Glad to be here, Sarah. Uh, so we have a great presentation to you today. We're going to talk about our historical timeline and to the extent that it's been sort of manipulated and falsified. Now, I know your audience is no stranger to sort of esoteric topics and kind of outside of the box thinking in a way that most people don't even want to go near. But I think even they too will find what we have to say pretty shocking and outrageous um, as far as the extent of the fraud of our history and how it's been covered up. Um, now, before we go any further, I just want to make sure you guys know that uh, this isn't something that Scott and I just came up with. This is a, um, what we're going to talk about today is a theory that actually came out of Moscow State University, and it was the result of a uh, multi, it was a result of a multi-decade uh, project by one of Russia's top mathematicians. And essentially what he did is he, he was the first to apply statistical analytical uh, methods to uh, history, which had never been done before. And you could kind of think of it as a forensic audit. And we'll go into this guy's background in a, in a little bit, but I think um, just by how wild um, the, uh, the topics we're going to talk about today, I think it's important to consider the credentials of where this came from, because this is some really out of the box kind of stuff that we're going to talk about. So, uh, well, and that's what I love the most, uh, honestly. I mean, before I got into, you know, kind of the crucial elements of the day, I love doing things that would get your mind, expand your mind, mm. but in healthy ways um, and just learning truths and things. But I've come to the conclusion that the history of Tartaria and the history of humanity really gives you an idea of what's going on today and that the hiding of history and changing it is, um, it's really important that we start to understand our history because you can't change the future without understanding the history of what is happening. And it's kind of, some of the stuff is kind of scary, but it's important that we, we look at it. It's fascinating and amazing. But like you said, this isn't just us being, and that's why so much I wanted to talk to you because of the the research that you've done, this isn't us just talking about some wild conspiracy theory. There is a ton of research and information on this that is very um, substantial, very credible, very respected. And that's why it's so important that we look at it. What made you two go into this? Um, actually, a mutual admire, uh, somebody that we both admired, Cliff High. Um, I actually stumbled on a video from 2011 of Cliff ranting about how the whole, whole entire historical timeline was pretty much before the 1500s was made up. And that just ruined my day. And, you know, Scott and I had worked in entertainment. We were working together at the time and we were trying to develop a show in sort of the weird, in this sort of esoteric, you know, sci-fi area. And I came to Scott. I'm like, hey, Scott, the Roman Empire never happened. And we just kind of went from there and we just dived in and it was sort of a rabbit hole that never really ended for us. And as we got more and more into this, the more it made sense and the more it was sort of undeniable. Well, it, it makes you almost, when you start diving into it, at first you thought it was kind of Looney Tunes, didn't you? I mean, because it was so far out there. Yeah, essentially what we're saying, um, basically um, in a nutshell, our 6,000 year historical timeline, you got from ancient Sumer to dynastic Egypt, ancient Greece to the Roman empire and the dark ages, 
was essentially created out of whole cloth by insiders of the uh, Catholic Church in the late 1500s, early 1600s, alongside, uh, alongside the introduction of our Gregorian calendar, uh, which is where our current BC AD chronology comes from. Um, so you could essentially say that everything before the 1500s is a lie. And um, what the church did back then is what they took essentially what was uh, what we would think of as medieval Byzantine Empire chronicles, and they duplicated it over and over again um, to create a sort of false timeline that spans thousands of years. But also what we think of as the Byzantine Empire in the Middle Ages is way different than, um, than, than the reality, which is where your uh, Tartarian Empire comes in, which was the main driving force through our real history. Well, it's so amazing. And, and it's all based on, they based it on some truth because they can't lie about everything. Otherwise, it, they wouldn't, because mm -hmm. no, of the it, artifacts. It, it, events, did, yeah. events did happen. You know, the, the They wove it in. There. Yeah. So James, let's get back to that in a second because we, that is mm -hmm. the crux of what we want to talk about. What yes. got you into this, Scott? Well, I, I have, um, I've been involved in kind of the, in my job as an editor, I've worked on some shows that have, danced around the edges of uh, the UFO ufology world. Um, I've been into alternate history for quite a while, um, what you'd call conspiracies to some degree. But um, I think what got me into it was that it kind of gave me actual tangible evidence to look at versus just um, because when I looked at how many years this gentleman, Anatoly Fomenko, spent on this theory, and I realized he, he took 20 years of his life to try to analyze 900 or more ancient chronicles, and he came up with a very systematic way of doing it. And he also came up with software to look at the zodiacs. And the zodiacs really were what sucked me in because Fomenko came to the realization that all the dates that are uh, listed in the zodiacs happened not 5,000 years ago, but within a period of from 1000 AD to uh, essentially 1600 AD. And he did that using modern, um, basically astronomical forensics, using computer algorithms, modern technology to basically reverse engineer what we know about lunar eclipses, solar eclipses, things that we can today, we can pinpoint down to the exact minute where they're going to exist in the sky. We know on this date, at this time, the moon will be, there will be a lunar eclipse. So that, that evidence was so fascinating to me because I felt like, okay, I have something I can grab onto. And that kind of sucked me into this seven volume series of information that to this day, I'm still, you know, it's one of those works you can spend probably you know, your whole life going through and trying to really wrap your head around it. So when James came to me and told me about Rome, because Rome is really the backbone of what we think of as Western civilization, right? And when this one particular map, which hopefully we'll show, uh, called the Frau Moro map, um, when James pulled that up, and we'll actually bring it up, it was, bring it up right now. It was commissioned in... Um, I believe the 1450s by uh, a king of Portugal to show the world as they know it, knew it at that time. 
And when you look at this map, uh, which NASA, by the way, uses as its, uh, NASA even claims that this is the most accurate representation of the globe at that time. And um, it's upside down, which is an interesting thing. So north is south, south is north, which by the way, back then in that period of time, a lot of maps were flipped. Um, so what, what we're showing you right now is kind of this piece of evidence that really like sent me on a complete, like for a loop. Um, so what James is doing, we're pushing into, there you see the boot of Italy up in the uh, kind of top center. Yeah, you kind of get the geography, Sarah, even though it's upside down. Okay, so put your cursor so that the rest of the people, the listeners, can people who, can you get your cursor okay, where so the this, Italy is? Okay, yeah. This is, yeah. You can see it? Yeah. So this is the boot of Italy. Now, remember, this is a, uh, this was made by a Venetian uh, cartographer for a Portuguese king. So it's a very Eurocentric map. And think of, uh, think of what you know about Europe in the 1400s and uh, Rome and Venice and the glory of uh, Western civilization, yet... Italy is completely blank except for a pyramid. But as we go east, and now it's kind of west, and we go into Eastern Europe, we come to Tartaria, and we start to see this, this starting to fill out with, um, with, amazing, with amazing structures all over the place. All, this is Siberia. This is, this is the whole Asian continent. And this this map was made supposedly when we were coming out of the yoke of the terrible Mongol invasions of the uh, the 1200s and 1300s. So this is kind of flies in the face of everything we've been told about history and where uh, where the civilization was at this time. But you can see it's just amazing stuff. And we come here and towards into China area, and it's just it's just medieval castles. Uh, I mean, just amazing architecture. And even if we go into north or south into Africa, Ethiopia, it's all, it's compared to Europe, it's amazing. Well, it's almost like the entire Western culture really just got created. This was destroyed and Western culture was built up, the West. Yes, after this time period. Yeah. So what we think of as the, Tartarian Empire was essentially a global empire where uh, all the religions were under one uh, one flag, one well, multiple symbols. But think of an empire like a federation, like a global federation of different provinces. With the the area we know as Russia being the largest of that province, and that's where you get the idea of all these various tribes or what they called hordes. So you'd have like the golden horde, the red horde, the white horde, the blue horde. And that's where the, the, the mythology of Genghis Khan really takes shape as being the Mongol, you know, the Mongol warrior, Mongol empire coming into Europe and, and um, you know, essentially taking over Europe or trying making an attempt to take over Europe. But in reality, um, what Fomenko is showing us is that <clears throat> as this empire started to collapse uh, and the religions started to split off, like Orthodox Christianity started to split away into various, you know, Islam, Buddhism, uh, 
um, Catholicism, as these as the as the one world religions split, that's when the church, the Catholic Church, decided to essentially um, memory hole the whole idea of a unified empire and rewrite uh, essentially re rewrite the history to fit its narrative. Um, and that had to do with a lot of the Jesuit influence as well at that time. But didn't every culture, didn't every religion almost do that? Because they don't recognize, it was almost like they all did it. Or did the Catholic do it for them? Well, as far as Rome, it was important for, for Rome to be seen as the center of civilization. So they, so they took a lot of stuff that happened elsewhere. They placed it there to say this is it's always been like this we've always been the power but um the, the church actually uh, had a big uh, influence in china in the 1700s the jesuits moved into china and the same history uh that the, the that they took and created rome out of was manipulated and created these dynasties in china and each and fomenko says like some of this is was intentional, but also some of it was sort of accidental just because, um, you know, the, you have historians have, they would, uh, they would come across all these different chronicles and there would be different languages, different uh, names, different, and they'd be told different. So they would also interpret the same events as different events. So it's, it's sort of a mishmash of everything. Which is, but which is, which is what kind of creates this idea of phantom, uh, phantom uh, rulers, essentially kingdoms that have been duplicated on paper and pushed back in time with the, with just different names, different Kings, but essentially um, Fomenko was able to show the similarities between yeah, the, between different Kings from different eras down to the number of years they ruled um, Were was, were they, you know, did they have any famines? Did they, how many wives did they have? And he started creating these keys which we're showing you right now to kind of compare these different empires uh, from different periods of time. And you start to get the idea that maybe these are just duplicates of an original empire. So as you see the Holy Roman, <clears throat> the Holy Roman empire compared to the kingdom of Judah in the Bible, and you can start to see, he created these data points um, yeah, this, this one is, uh, for instance, the uh, year of each ruler's reign in the order that they reigned. So like in the, if you see on the left-hand side, you have the Holy Roman Empire from the 10th to 13th century and the Kingdom of Judah in the Bible. And you can see each ruler, Henry the Fowler, 17 years, uh, corresponds to, uh, I, don't, I don't even know how to say that, 17 years. And you can see that, uh, that the years of these rulers' reign correspond almost exactly you know slight variations um, and if you look on the left we have the kingdom of israel in the bible versus the um, i think this is the the eastern roman empire uh, starting with constantine and what fomenko does is he goes through all of basically every dynasty in history and and they fall in line with this sort of uh, correlation and this has got to be beyond coincidence this is these are definitely describing the same empires and what um and what Fanko does even further in his books is he not only looks at sort of the dates of the the reigns and stuff but he goes through the exact events and lines them up and the, the 
the correlation is stunning. It's hard to deny. Wow. I mean, that is really quite incredible. So what did, uh, did he come to any conclusions on why and, you know, why they did this and where Tartaria went? I mean, what happened? It's a complicated uh, subject and it didn't happen overnight. Um, basically, they wanted to minimize this one um, during the, I would say 14 to 1600s, there was lots of, uh, this is when this empire started to fracture. And a lot of these uh, countries in Western Europe wanted their independence and, and they wanted to st install their own rulers and stuff. And, and you got to understand how, um, what the average person was like in the middle ages. Most people were peasants. Most people were literate. Um, the concept of a year, the year wasn't really a thing for most people. Most people looked at, um, at the year as sort of the, um, it was marked by the years of the king reign. So somebody would say, I was born in the 12th year of such, such and such king's reign. So it kind of created an environment where the church could sort of impose this false um, timeline on people. And, you know, at the time they were, they were, they had a monopoly on religion. They had a monopoly on science. They had a monopoly on the military. So they could, they could write their own narrative however they wanted. And, and they did. And as you know, during, during that time, books were burned. You, people were burned at the stake for heresy. You couldn't really question anything that you were told that, was, that contradicted the church. So it, it created a sort of a, a good environment for a false history to be imposed on the people. Well, Magna Carta was created in the 12th century, I believe. So, mm. I, I, yeah, I know. Now, now we all question that. So... <laughs> does he ever does that come up what is this whole magna carta timeline and you know and and the whole renaissance you know, you you know, know it's almost like they made the renaissance be the beginning of their whole you know their, this whole thing yeah well the dark ages what what we've come to understand having looked at this is that the dark ages really didn't exist that 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 idea that there was this 600 you know 600 year period of time from the fall of Rome, that everything just completely went into complete darkness and that there was no innovation, there was no nothing. And then here comes the Renaissance uh, and the glory of Western Europe, right? And in the, that- The church was able to save civilization by bringing it out of the Renaissance or out of the dark ages is kind of the narrative that they, they put forward. Yeah, but really it was massive war and destroying Tartaria and then re the Renaissance was just building up the West. Yeah, essentially. And, um, but, and in Fitminko's later books, um, we could go into this. He does a sort of um, a step-by-step -step, reconstruction of the past thousand years. And, it's, and we could go through it. It's, it's very interesting to see ha what happened when and where and how this... Um, absolutely let's go through okay. this because this is what we need to know and if rome didn't even exist what what the heck and what's tartaria and china's whole history is completely different and so is russia's correct um so and so is africa's africa has a much richer history than they ever get credit for yeah absolutely um you saw on the map it was a total kingdom and stuff and so let's start kind of where Fomenko. But what about the United States? Can I ask you, was the United States part of this or was the United States kind of a small little nothing? I mean, what was. Okay, so 
So what we think of as the, um, so it's kind of hard to, it's a little complicated, but um, there were this Tartarian empire launched a number of waves of invasion uh, between like the 1200s and the 1400s. And in the 1400s, this, uh, this empire did reach America and they did set up a civilization in America that was sort of fought over once the, the empire started to crack in the 1600s. So there was a civilization here, they were here. Um, Fomenko even says that, that a lot of stuff like Columbus was sort of fabricated in the 1600s and there's very little evidence that Columbus even exi uh, existed. And he, he credits that this time like Cortez, um, the first wave of invasions into the US was actually a Tartarian sort of a Tartarian conquering uh, when they conquered the uh, when they crossed the seas in the 1400s and it was in the sort of 15 1600s where after the empire fractured that the sort of the Spanish went in the Portuguese went in and they sort of rewrote the history to cover that up as well so so yeah this was a world empire and I'll show you a map that Flamenco has where this uh that just covers the whole entire empire let's see also the double-headed eagle uh the symbol yeah. of, of yeah. uh tartaria so this is this is where the empire was probably probably around the 1600s when it sort of europe is starting to break off uh they, they in the 1400s it was invaded both from the from the pacific and the atlantic so it and, was really because it was connected down through uh, um alaska through canada yeah. alaska alaska yes yeah alaska all the way down to mexico mexico because it's so close there they really were big in the united states but through alaska and canada and e even in our uh, in our established history that uh, we were told that this area belonged to russia uh, we, we live in california and then in california you could actually go to a russian um a russian settlements up the up up the northern coast so well, that makes sense because so they were, we were so close. Why would they not mm -hmm. have seen this land when it was so close? Makes no sense. Yeah, absolutely. They, yeah. Okay. So do your thing. Do your thousand year explanation of okay. weirdness. Okay. All right. So, so as Fomenko says that uh, there's pretty much no historical records that go really before the 10 hundreds. And, um, me and Scott and I sort of disagree with Manko's um, assessment of what happened before then. You know, as uh, Scott said, we're, we're kind of into the alternative history and people like Graham Hancock. And we we kind of believe that there was sort of cycles of civilization and yeah. uh, cataclysms that reset stuff. Fomenko, he doesn't really go into any of that. He sticks to a straight sort of evolutionary theory. He thinks, um, he says that um, civilization sort of developed in Mesopotamia uh, where you could sort of grow crops. And as the population grew, people were pushed up north. And, you know, up north, kind of in Siberia and Russia, it was a little harder to sort of survive. And that way you had, you needed to sort of a, a develop a stronger intellect to get through the winters and stuff. So he, he, he says that, uh, that the, that this area in Russia was sort of the most advanced area at the time. And what they had done coming into what we see as known history in the, um, in the 10 hundreds is that they had come down the Volga River to the Don River into the Black Sea, and they established a sort of Mediterranean kingdom um, with Alexandria, Egypt being the 
the capital of it. And it was sort of a seafaring trading uh, region. There was very little known about it at the time. And actually Egypt, uh, what we think of Egypt was sort of a, uh, a royal burial ground for the royalty of these various kingdoms. It was a, he called it a cult of the dead where they would sort of um, send, um, they would mummify the bodies and they would send them across the river. And this kind of became the uh, inspiration for the, um, you know, the uh, Greek myth of the river Styx and Charon where they would ferry the dead yeah, across yeah. the river. So that, he, he says that comes from Egypt. How long does he think our, our modern history is then? You said the 10 hundreds, so only like a thousand years? Um, according to Femengo, there are no authentic historic documents that predate about 10 hundred. Everything that, you, um, that you've heard about Rome or, or Greece, it's all sort of 16th, 17th century recreations. There's nothing, there's nothing authentic that we could say that was from Rome, like a uh, or, or two thousand years old. It's all when they go and they unearth, you know, like cities and stuff like that. It, we know that those things existed. Is it just that we don't know the timelines properly? Yes, and uh, you can think of it. You could think of it like um, these these empires existed, but they they existed simultaneously so like the the timeline was compressed so all these events that we know of the trojan war the idea of um the egyptian you know the building of the pyramids all these things did happen but they happened much closer to us they, they weren't and what happened is scaliger who was a um french uh scholar slash historian he he was kind of the father of our history he essentially took these stories that happened in the Middle Ages and he just pushed them back thousands of years, uh, you know, hundreds to thousands of years, depending on, uh, depending on how, you know, I guess, depending on what the, the narrative needed to be at the time. But um, so we're not saying that Egypt didn't exist. We're saying that it did exist, but it, but its history is much closer to us than, than, than what we've been taught. Um, well, it seems like there's a whole Tartarian history then, you know, that's what we're talking about here, that has been wiped out. So that could be thousands of years of history. We just don't know what it is because they we wiped just don't know. it out. Yeah. Well, the Roman, the, the Romanoffs, um, when, when, this, when this big fracture took place and the Romanoffs in Western Europe, essentially, um, that's when they started the mop-up operation and started burning burning or hiding away all the original, any of the original texts that may have existed that would have told the story of that previous empire. They just memory hold it. Do they exist? Do we think they exist? Um, there's speculation that potentially underneath the Vatican and the catacombs that there are records. Um, and, you know, there, there's, there hasn't been any, as far as the like Library of Alexandria, that's never been verified in terms of archaeologically. Like there's no, you would think this massive, you know, repository of information, there would be some type of archaeological trace of it. And if you go to Alexandria, you won't, you won't find it there. So whether, you know, whether the Vatican took these documents from burn the burn the library took all the documents that were important 
<coughs> excuse me, and then bury and then seal them away. We don't know. We don't know. It seems that, and I, I'd love to get into that felt in your history that you're going to talk about, yeah. but it seems like there was a massive genocide of Tartaria and then they covered it up and it, things fractured out and they forgot their own histories. I, the thing is, is that it, it feels like that's what they want to do to the West now. Uh, yeah. I mean, the first time I, I actually heard the, uh, the term Great Reset was with Tartaria. And then we had coronavirus and we're just hearing that the World Economic Forum talk about the Great Reset. So this seems like it's, it's an ongoing thing. We'll talk about the Great uh, Reset then in comparison to what you saw with Tartaria. We got to go through that thousand year timeline that you wanted to do. But <laughs> no, I know so much please, to cover here. But please talk about what you saw with the reset when you ran into Tartaria, because they actually talked about it in those terms. Well, the, the people online, uh, there was a sort of like an online community sort of digging into sort of Tartaria and, it, and the word it was the reset. It was the, and it was really in my mind that, oh, we had a reset. And what they were referring to was something I believe that happened in the early 1800s, kind of around um, the War of 1812, kind of along the Napoleon campaign. And uh, there was also sort of a, um, a huge influx of natural disasters at that time. There was uh, something called Napoleon's Comet that crossed over this time uh, during this time period. And what you have, if you look into any individual history in the, uh, if you, any local history in the early 1800s, you're gonna find famine, disease, war, um, just, just volcanoes going off, uh, floods. And it's not, and it's never really contributed to one single event, but it's, it's weird that, that in each local history during this time, everybody has a disaster story. And uh, Scott, um, can you get into the orphans? Like there was a, a huge influx of orphans after this time. And, and this early, the cities, uh, all the pictures of the cities um, in the early, as soon as photography sort of became uh, relevant in the uh, 1850s, all these major cities that you think like Prague, St. Petersburg, Moscow, um, completely empty. These cities were sort of just, it was sort of like a reclaiming of a, of old civilization back in the in the in the period between 1812 and 1850. Yeah, and, and about that time is when you see this idea of the orphan trains, and we're talking like hundreds of thousands of children who ended up wound up working in the factories uh, were dispersed all over the world, and you can look even in North America, uh, all over Europe, Eastern Europe, um, child labor became the the you know, the primary um, mechanism of production. And there's no accounting for like, you know, where did all these orphans come from? You know, where were the parents? Where, what happened? And um, this is before the Civil War, or, you know, this is before the uh, World War One. So, so it's not like in the aftermath of World War One, you would, you would expect to have orphans. Um, so yeah, that, that was something that that period, essentially the, the late 1700s through to the late 1800s were kind of like the, the very tail end of the destruction of what we what we think of as Tartaria. Do you think those were orphans from Tartaria? Tartaria? I don't know, maybe I'm not spelling it right or sounding it right. Is it is it the because it had to have mass slaughter? I mean, because where did all these people go? So were there their children? 
Um, well, I think I think it was bad times all around, whether it was in Tartaria or in in Europe. I think yeah, those those kids got to come from any anywhere. But how do orphans get created without? I mean, if adults don't die without kids dying too, there would be all these other adults. I mean, it's just you don't just end up with just kids. Is my point? Yeah. Without a, a planned adult, something something happened to just the adults. Well, and also at this time, at this time period, you know, with all these like chaotic planetary events happening, it kind of provides the, a great cover to if you if you did want a memory hole, uh, the history of, a, of an empire, this would be the perfect time to do it because of all the chaos. So at this time is when the Romanovs were essentially erasing, uh, reconstructing the history of Russia, according to their um you know roman catholic beliefs and um essentially i think and in fact they they hired german historians to um come in and rewrite to essentially write out any mention of the the hordes and the idea of uh the various um tartarian um provinces that stretched kind of east into Siberia. And, and now people think of Siberia as being this, you know, barren wasteland, but in, in reality, there's, you can see the architecture left behind. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, th this, this process of getting rid of the history and the architecture and kind of covering up the technology, that's another big part of this is that um, this took, this took place over the course of hundreds of years it wasn't just overnight you know and multiple so. it was multiple generations and so what was it about tartaria that they didn't want people to know about you know what was it about tartaria it's not you know eliminating well, they didn't want empire, it coming back they didn't want it coming back they, they want it go they, ahead. Didn't want, they didn't want it to they didn't want it they were always afraid that it was going to sort of reconquer what uh, what it had lost, as essentially as uh, during the Reformation, as these uh, these nations like Germany and France were getting their independence, they were terrified that this uh, this giant army was going to come back and and sort of reconquer them. So it had to be crushed completely. My understanding is that Tartaria was a blood. I mean, I heard that it was a very violent. I mean, could Tartaria? be the globalists now coming and trying to create this one world government and all this other stuff or you know is there a tie into that is was tartaria just a good and you know what i'm just still trying to get an idea of what tartaria was and if they were so scared of it why i know i know it's a power thing but you know mm. it, it, we're the, the I, I think it's the, i think it i mean my opinion is that it's the reverse i think that Tartaria represented probably the closest thing mankind has gotten to a unified um, empire that was taking advantage of advanced technology, of um, electromagnetism, of healing therapies, light therapies, all these things that we're starting to kind of are starting to bubble up again. These antique technologies, which are starting to kind of find their way back into our into our um, the zeitgeist now represented the tartarian empire and that's why i say like if you look at some of the old architecture of some of these churches 
back in uh, throughout Europe, you'll see the cross with the crescent and the star all on the same, um, all be all, all a part of the same architecture, meaning that like there was a period of our history where the religions were all living together as one. They weren't, it wasn't a single religion, but they were unified in their um, glory, if you will. Yeah, it looks like there there was a time when when a, you know this empire was cohesive and it was at relative peace and it had a lot of advanced technology that a lot of the citizenry would take part in even even down to the idea that churches were not simply for worship but that they were healing centers with these massive organs playing uh, these uh, playing the, the the these sounds that would actually healing frequencies, cymatics, all these kind of, you know, what are considered pseudoscience right now. But, but if you think about it, like uh, a church being a healing center and people would actually go to the church and absorb this sound and the whole town could take part in this. And so, you know, I, I as far as what's happening now, um, I think it's the opposite. I think it's kind of the Bacchanalian faction of, of Catholicism, the kind of pagan Catholicism, which is a lot of people don't know about, but the, the Christianity was split between royal Christians and the royal Christians were considered blood relatives of Jesus. And they ended up creating this mythology of the Greek gods, the worship of Zeus, the you know a lot of the the pagan uh, sacrificial uh, elements came out of that royal Christian side that ended up thinking that like the you know the Caesars were essentially you know divinities and you had to worship Caesar because he was a god mm-hmm. and he worshipped Zeus. So and then on the other side of that you had the apostles, so the apostolic side of the church. And those were like the gospels, like Luke, Paul, John, and they weren't relatives of Jesus, but they were teaching his, you can think of it as like Christianity for the average person. Whereas the Royals who went on to form the, the, you know, the, the Roman Catholic church, they were into all kinds of like, you know, orgies and Bacchanalia and venereal disease came out. That's where we get venereal disease, Venus, right? Um, so <clears throat> that's where the rift happened between the Orthodox, which was essentially like the original form of Christianity, which is primarily throughout Eastern Europe into Russia. And then you had that split with the Roman Catholic Church, which, and they tried to cover up that pagan aspect by pushing that part of their history back into the ancient past. When in reality that was taking place in the you know 1200s, the Crusades, right? So, the idea of the Crusades is that the the people who followed Jesus essentially were taking revenge on his murderer, his his the, the people who murdered him, and that took place during the 1200s, you know the 1200s to the 1300s. And that's where Fomenko, he points out that Jesus, I mean, one of the most controversial things out of Fomenko is that by using the Zodiacs, he's, he's come to the conclusion that Jesus was 
known as King Adronicus and that he was born in 1152 AD and he died in 11. In where, what area? Uh, the Bosphorus. Uh, just just oh, north of Istanbul. Just north of Istanbul. And when did he die? I'm sorry. I cut you off at that point because that was important. Ele uh, 1185. And um, he's using the Star of Bethlehem as one of the key indicators because like we said earlier, he was able to look at, uh, you know, the Zodiac event, you know, the Zodiacs and reverse engineer them. And he said that the Star of Bethlehem could have, could have only happened in this part of the sky at this time. And that time was in 1152 AD is when he suspects that Jesus was born. And at 1185 is when he, um, when he was crucified. And that's, where the, and that's where the big shift, that's where the split in Christianity took place, which that split was kind of the, the moment where the empire started to fracture between the West and the East, right? Kind of so makes it, sense. Yeah, so with Fomenko, uh, he attributes the star of Bethlehem as being the, uh, the crab nebula when it went supernova in the Taurus constellation. And, and in, the, in, the, in the Gospels that uh, Christ was crucified uh, at the same time as an eclipse. So there's only uh, one time in history where there's a 33-year difference between this uh, crab nebula going supernova and an eclipse happening, and that is in a, a 1152 to uh 1185 and as you can see i have a um, a uh, some artwork of the crucifixion you can see the eclipse and you could also notice that uh, that castle in the background is looking pretty pretty medieval kind of not what you would think in sort of a roman era